0: Do we know. <laughs> Is it the eighth? Is that what we said? Is that a Sunday? Okay. Is that? Okay. Let's let's tentatively plan that our next potluck, which will be, by the way, uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving food all together. It's all pretty much the same anyway. <laughs> Turkey and dressing or stuffing or whatever you want to call it. It's all pretty much so we'll... <laughs> By then, you'll probably have already had leftovers and all that, as much turkey as you can stand. But we're going to have more turkey on, <laughs> on December the 8th, and then we'll have uh, the slideshow at that time. Listen, I want to say um, uh, just, a, just a couple of more words on the trip, and then we'll get on to the business at hand. Um, we had an awesome little team that traveled with us uh, on this trip. And um, so we were re- well represented. Uh, from our campus, Bethel Hope Campus, was well represented. Uh, of course, I was there and then, and then uh, you know, I learned a lot about these two people and their impact on what's happening in Sierra Leone on this trip that I didn't know before. Uh, and so, man, I tell you, I already loved them before we went. I have a newfound love for Jerry and Marty Putman. They are, can, you know, I know it's the glory goes to God, but listen, these two people have done a great work and have such a heart for the people of Sierra Leone, and so uh, it was an honor to serve there with the both of you and to see your passion and your heart, genuine passion and heart for the people in Sierra Leone, so, uh, man, changed my life to see all of that. So thank you so much. Uh, So we had a a wonderful time. Again, at least twice a year there are trips, mission trips to Sierra Leone and other places, but Sierra Leone is twice a year at least, so there are many opportunities for many of you to take advantage of that. Maybe, I think the next one's in the spring. It's not too late. You can get with Jeff Bice and he'll get you hooked right on up and you can just go uh, unfortunately, I won't be. I think the Putmans are going back. Is that right? In the spring? Uh, uh, and so uh, I won't, unfortunately, be able to go on that trip, uh, but I will be going back at some point. And I plan to. My plan is to take my wife uh, and maybe even my boy <laughs> on the next trip, but certainly my wife uh, when we go back. So, But I say all that to say, listen, when you see those announcements that come up about those trips, uh, not, not only that, but let me say this also. I had a chance to see firsthand what our, so we sponsored from our campus four of the students this year. Uh, for this. I had a chance to see firsthand where that, where that actually goes. And let me tell you, I will be sponsoring a child uh, on this next com- upcoming, whenever it's done again. I am saying that right now because I had a chance to see the impact that it's making there and the children and how they so love what's happening there at gym academy that's the name of the school gym academy g-e-m grace evangelical ministries right that's the pseudo name i said well does it, what is that they, that's bethel actually <laughs> but that's bethel's name in sierra leone so bethel sponsors this and so it's wonderful so say all that to say take advantage of the opportunity to join in what bethel's doing there and in other places but uh, Join in with some of those trips, and it's best to see you alone. You, Leon, your life will never be the same. Um, Romans chapter 7 is where we are. We're in Romans chapter 7, and I heard that both Nate and Kevin did an awesome job in Romans chapter 6. So hopefully I won't drop the ball, and I'll continue... <laughs> to do at least an adequate job as we get now to Romans chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, would you stand with me? Because we only have six verses today, and I'd like to read them. I'd like for you to stand with me as I read them out loud. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Romans chapter 7, 1 through 6. And when you get there, you'll find, or if you don't have your Bible or a device, it's on the screen as well, but you'll find the following words. Having died to that law, which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Thank you. You may be seated. From these six verses, Romans chapter 7, I'd like to preach from, talk from, this theme. A funeral and a wedding. A funeral and And a wedding. I have have a confession that I need to make this morning. Uh, I usually try with everything I have to always remain cool, calm, and collected. I try. I try my best to do that. Uh, But there is one area in my life that I still need prayer for. There's one thing that I still need all of y'all to pray for me about. Sometimes I lose my cool, Sister Martha, in this area. I can't stand dealing with bad drivers. It's just, you know, I need prayer. I'm not delivered yet. I mean, I'm not one of those that, you know, do the one finger salute and all that. I don't get road rage. It's not that bad. But my blood pressure sometimes goes up uh, when I have to deal with bad drivers. You you know, you would think that moving from a big city like Dallas-Fort Worth uh, to Tyler, you wouldn't experience in a, sm- a city this size uh, bad drivers like you do in a city that size. But I've come to find out that bad driving is a universal problem. No matter how big the city is, you just just encounter it no matter where you are. Uh, In fact, here's one adjustment I still haven't been able to make in the five years that I've been back. It just just gets next to me because it seems like everybody in Tyler, uh, is nobody rather in Tyler is in a hurry. Coming from Dallas-Fort Worth, I mean, everywhere you go, you, you have to be in a, whether you're late or not, you're driving fast because that's just the flow of traffic. And I've been here five years and I still get bothered because everybody on the road seems like they just out on a Sunday drive. No matter if it's Sunday afternoon or not, nobody in this place is in a hurry to get anywhere. And it just bothers me. I, I mean, it, I, don't, I don't know. I can't, I can't deal with that. <laughs> um, there's some other things, you know, that, that I've not yet adjusted to, uh, that, that maybe not like the bad traffic lights. I, it bothers That That's not driver-related, but it just bothers me. It gets me. One of the things, though, that really gets me worked up, uh, that you don't necessarily see here as much as you would see in a city like Dallas Is that when you're driving on the freeway and there's a sign on the freeway that you pass that's lit up that says lane closing in one mile? And you keep driving and there's another lit up sign that says lane closing in half a mile. Then Sister says, Martha, you keep driving, and there's another one that's bright and lit up. You can't miss it. It says, lane closing in a quarter of a mile. Then there's another one, that says, lane closing in 500 feet. You know what bothers me? Is that when (laughs) y'all go all the way up to the end of that, and then try to cut over in front of me. I'm just telling you right now, I'm not having it. I'll run you off to, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) I'm joking because sometimes I do it too, but most of the time it's y'all. It's not me. And so you know what bothers me about it? What bothers me so much about that is that what has happened is, Dave, obviously this person has made a conscious decision in their minds to ignore the repeated warnings that the lane is closing. Either that or they just weren't paying attention. And that bothers me because... Here's the reason why: because repetition and heightened emphasis usually signals that something of significance and importance is coming up. You know what? It, you, you know what? You know what? Heightened uh, emphasis and repetition says it says this: pay attention. something's getting ready to happen, right? It says pay attention because something is getting ready to happen, and. As we look at this text since chapter 3 Paul has repeatedly warned about the dangers of depending on adherence to the law. Ever since chapter 3 and even mentions it in chapter 2 all throughout he he highlights and he he warns about what's about this. He repeats his warning. All throughout. Now we arrive here in chapter 7, we pick up his important argument on the law as it shifts from warning to further elaboration on what he says in chapter 6, verse 14. He still continues this theme, but now he shifts from warning about it to expounding on and elaborating. On what he says in chapter 6. I think Nate probably read it to you a couple of weeks ago. But let's read that verse again. 614 says this. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law. But under grace. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law. But under grace. In fact, Romans chapter 7 is, in many regards, a parallel of Romans chapter 6. So that right after Paul says what he says or writes what he writes in 6.14, he begins to illustrate his point by using an analogy from 6.14 to the end of chapter 6. He used the analogy of a slave and a slave owner. He uses the analogy of a slave and someone who is uh, 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 tied to a thing because they are a slave to that thing. Then in chapter 7, he moves from the analogy of a slave as it relates to being a slave to sin. And he moves from that to the analogy of a marriage and how this marriage relates to our relationship to the law. That's what he does in chapter 7. He uses marriage as nothing more than an illustration and a picture of our our new relationship to the law. Uh, I know as we read that, some of you, Many that that read it without its context will think that this is uh, a comprehensive lesson on marriage. We'll talk about in a minute that that's not what this is. It's simply an illustration that Paul chooses to use to illustrate his point about our relationship, our new now relationship to the law. So then in verses 1 through 3, I see this from this passage. From 1 through 3, here's what I see that comes out. Of this to me one through three says to us, Our only hope is death. Our only hope is death. Here's, here's, what, here's what verse one says. Verse one says, This or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law. That's who he is addressing this to those who who are familiar with the law Who are those who are uh, accustomed to attempting to adhere to the Mosaic law, do you, do, for those of you that know the law, do you not know that the law is binding on a person only as long as that person is alive right? He's setting something up here and, and, and the beginning of what he's setting up is going to be very bleak because he says this he says the only way to escape These consequences, to escape uh, the law is that one has to die. So then, he says in verse 1, you can relate it to someone who is charged with or found guilty of a crime today, right? Someone who's, who's, who's either charged with or found guilty and maybe they're awaiting sentence or serving their sentence already. When and if that person dies in the midst of that, there's nothing else that can be done to that person right you can't you can't lock up a dead man you can't do you can't execute somebody who's already died you can't do any of that so then paul says in verse 1 those of you that are familiar with the law understand this the only way to be released from its consequences is death and so then he says uh Something that I oftentimes say, he says, now he doesn't say this, this is me paraphrasing, he says, you don't believe it, let me prove it to you. (laughs) And he says, I'm going to use an illustration, it's not what he says, again, I'm paraphrasing what I think he might have said, if it would have been me, Martha, I probably would have said, let me prove it to you, right? He uses an illustration to prove what he's just said, or to illustrate, rather, what he's just said in verse 1. Verses 2 and 3, he decides to use illustration of marriage, right? He uses this illustration uh, of marriage. Uh, And so then in verses 2 and 3, this is what he says. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if, again, he's relating this back to what he just said in verse 1. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Paul simply uses marriage to illustrate the point that he makes in verse 1. The law that he's referring to, the marriage law, stated that to marry someone else while the husband was still alive without a legal divorce was considered adultery. Now we need to understand and discuss briefly that this is not to be used as a proof text for divorce and remarriage as it is not a comprehensive treatise on marriage but it is only a single example for the purpose of illustration. So you can't Take this and use it on somebody and say, look, this is what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. This is the only way you can get out. Your husband has to be dead. <laughs> uh, you're bound or your wife has to be dead. Or You can't, you can't be used. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, is that he simply uses this one part of the marriage law to illustrate this point that, look, our only hope. To be released is death. He uses this one uh, part of the law. Um, In fact, though, reality is that there are two other reasons in Scripture which allows for divorce and remarriage. Now, let me say this. We're going to talk briefly about these. And listen, these are ideal situations, right? Well, Scripture says these three situations— You can be released to remarry. Paul uses one of them, but what I do want to say is that this is God's ideal. And oftentimes, none of us are able to live up to God's ideal. So I say that to say that even if you don't fit in one of these three, am I all right right there? Am I okay saying? Even if you don't fit in one of these three. You don't have to feel condemned because you don't fit in one of these three. I'm just giving it to you so that you can know that there's more going on with this marriage law than what Paul decides to pull out of it and use as an illustration to prove what he says in verse 1. Scripture says there are two other valid scriptural reasons. One of them Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5 verse 32 in this sexual immorality because in 532 Jesus says this. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There's another one, right? There's another option, another way, right? Now, even in that one, here it is. He Jesus doesn't. I know this is not a sermon on marriage, but I just think we gotta we gotta camp here for just a minute. Even in this one, Jesus, when he says this in the Sermon on the Mount, does not say that you have to do that. Right? Y'all fell asleep on me. (laughs) Jesus is not giving a command that if there is sexual immorality, that you have to divorce, right? He simply says, this is allowable. Then the other one Paul covers in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm not going to read it to you because it's, it's, four, it's six verses, but uh, to, 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 to sum it up, he says this. The, the other way that's allowable is when the unbelieving spouse departs, right? So there are three ways. There's, there's when one dies. There's when there's sexual immorality. There's when the unbeliever departs. But all of this is given with grace to know that this is given to a people who are not able to live uh, according to God's ideal anyway. So God extends his grace to those of us who are not able to live up to his ideal. So Paul uses this, this one example, this one tenet of the marital law here to illustrate his point. And here's the point. Death is the only way to be set free. Death. Paul says, death is the only way to be set free from the consequences of the law. I don't know about you, but that sounds awful bleak to me. It's bleak to know that the only way out of this thing is death. The only way that I can be Release, the only way that I can survive, the only way that I can get out alive is I've got to die. Isn't that something? only way that I can be rescued is death has to happen. It's bleak, it sounds bad, until you get to verse 4. Because in verse 4, we find first a funeral and then a wedding. I submit to you that verse 4 is the key verse in all of this passage. Verse 4 is the linchpin that holds it all together. Verse 4 is the key. Here's what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Verse 4 is the key verse in all this passage. Everything in this passage centers around and is tied to verse 4. In fact, the likewise in verse 4 ties back to verses 1 and 3, or 1 through 3. The four and the but now that we'll see later in verses 5 and 6 ties those verses in also to verse 4. Verse 4 is essential to understanding what Paul is talking about in 1 through 6. Verse 4 is the key. In fact, verse 4 is so important, ironically, it's almost exactly in the very center of this passage. I counted the words. I don't have nothing else to do. I'll just, uh, you know, some free time, Sam, so I, listen, there are 97 words before you get to the likewise in verse 4, and there are 98 words after the likewise in verse 4. You know what that means to me? Verse 4 is smack dab right in the middle of all of this because verse 4 is very significant. If you take verse 4 out of this passage, there would be no hope without this funeral and this marriage. Y'all going to leave me hanging today. I I know, I know. I'm by myself. It's all right. I need somebody to talk back to me today. I need an amen corner today. There's a funeral and a marriage in verse 4 that gives us hope because before we get to verse 4, our only hope is death. But verse 4 says we now have hope because here's it's bleak until we get to verse 4 because in verse 4, the reader is reminded that death is, in fact, the requirement. But verse 4 reminds us that someone else has fulfilled that requirement so that we don't have to, so that it is bleak, it is a fact, That death is the only way out. But the good news, Dorothea, is that we're not the ones that had to die. We're not the ones that had to physically die for the release from the law to happen. Verse 4 says somebody else did it. Anybody know his name? His name is Jesus. Mary's baby. You know him? The lily of the valley. Anybody know him? The bright and morning star. Have I got anybody? Is anybody calling those things? How about the author and the finisher? How about the lion of the tribe of Judah? How about the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of this world? Anybody know him? How about the bright and morning star? Anybody know him? How about our beginning and our end? The alpha and the omega. Does anybody know him? His name is Jesus the Christ. He was born of a virgin. He gave his life as a ransom to you and I. He died so that I wouldn't have to. And the the reality of the fact that the the only way out is death, uh, that that it's so bleak and, and, and we get comfort that we know that we don't have to die, that Jesus paid the price. It's quite interesting. It's quite interesting, this this verse, because it opens describing a funeral. See see what it says? It says, uh, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. There has been, for those of us who believe, a funeral. And you were present. Matter of fact, you were the main attraction. Because right, Paul says, when Christ died, you died. If you believe him, if you accept him, if he is Lord of your life, you died when he died. You were the center of attraction at the funeral It was in your honor. You were laid out in front of everybody. A funeral happened. You didn't know that, did you? You didn't know that your funeral had already happened. A funeral. so what does it mean though to be to, to die to the law what does it mean to die to the law here's what it means here's why it's so significant because death cancels the duty to perform the covenant death when death happens remember Paul just said in verse one that that that, that death releases the one from the, from, the, from the responsibility to the law, right? Death, when death happens, it cancels the duty that the, the person has to perform whatever the covenant was that they were supposed to perform. You remember the Mosaic covenant of Exodus chapter 19 through 24 was a conditional covenant between God and his people. It was, in other words, dependent on their obedience to the law. And it was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that none of them could keep it. So because none of them could keep it, all of them were subject to the consequences of their failure to keep the Mosaic law. None of them could keep it. Here's the good news, though. The good news is that because Jesus died, those of us who believe are released from having to fulfill the requirements of this conditional covenant that God gave, God gave them right, because He said, "Listen, uh, there are some things that you have to do." Right, all of all of them were not like that, but this one was. And and the, the 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 bad news is that God, you're saying, I've got to do some things. The bad news is that I'm not able to. The good news is because. Uh, Jesus died, and, and I died with him. That now I'm dead to the law, and that I don't have to fulfill my responsibilities and my duties anymore as it relates to the law. I've been set free. That's that's the significance of dying to the law. That's what it means. The other thing it means is this: that there's freedom from condemnation. There's freedom from condemnation. In fact. In a couple of weeks, we'll be there. Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't he say that? It means that, what, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It means that I am a follower of Christ Jesus. It means that he is my sovereign Lord. And if that's the case, there is now no condemnation. And then Paul says it another way in Galatians 3.10, he says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. I don't know about you, but I don't think I can do it. And I'm so glad I don't have to. Right? There's freedom from condemnation. Uh, So this verse opens with the funeral, then it revisits the marriage motif of verses 2 and 3 with the description of a wedding for that same person who was the guest of honor at the funeral. Look at what it says. It says, first of all, the funeral. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, here's the wedding, so that you may belong to another. Belong to is, is, is the same, translated in talking about marriage, right? To belong to. In fact, some of your translations will say married to, right? That you could be married. This, this, is, this is a description of a marriage that happens immediately after a funeral. Isn't that something? The same person who died, is the one that's now married. We see this, we see this, we see this funeral, and then this wedding. It's interesting that this wedding happens. In other words, what, what what happens is without the funeral, there could be no wedding. Without dying to the law, one could not then be married to Christ, so that you may belong to another. Who is the other? To him who has been raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. There's only one. His name again is Jesus. And then at the end of verse 4, Paul gives us uh, the purpose. The purpose for all of this. There has to be a purpose. God is a God of purpose. God is a God that that does not do anything haphazardly. He always has a plan and a purpose. And so at the end of verse 4, Paul gives us God's plan and his purpose. Here's what he says. In order... That you may bear fruit for God. That's the reason why there was a funeral. That's the reason why there has been a wedding. And that's that's the reason. That's the purpose. So that we all may be able to because apart from the funeral and apart from the wedding, none of us are able to do what Paul talks about at the end of verse 4. And that is bear fruit for God. We're not able to do it, right? But that's the purpose, right? To bear fruit for God. Uh, Being married to the law is hopelessly unproductive. Hopelessly. You cannot be productive if you continue to be married to the law. But being married to Christ is the avenue to ultimate productivity and provides the only hope for pleasing God. That's the only way. We can please him. We have to be married not to sin, married not to the law, but married to the one who gave his life for us. And if we are, we have access and the avenue and the open door to understand how it is that we please God. Because if we don't do it that way, we're simply trying to please him uh, in our own strength and in our own power. So then, what is this fruit? What does this God-pleasing productivity look like? Let me share it with you, a few things. First thing that it looks like is this. A Christ-like character. Christ-like character. You know it as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You know what that means? The fruit that Paul references at the end of verse 4 uh, is this fruit of the Spirit, Christ-like character, right, is that all of us should model Galatians chapter 5. All of us should have within us this fruit that God has given. You know what, you know what, the, you know what the foundation of this fruit is? all of these things in 5, 22 and 23 fall under the heading of the first one. What's the first one? Love. And if you get that one, all the other ones fall in place. That's Christ-like character. That's not the only fruit, though, that Paul uh, references here. The other one is true worship. Right? When When we are married to Christ, when we accept what he's done for us so that we are now released from the consequences and the penalties of the law, here's what it should produce in us. It should produce some true worship. I'm not talking about play worship. I'm not talking about fake worship. I'm not talking about simply one kind of worship, right? But I just chose a passage from the writer to the Hebrews, and this is what he says about it. He says in Hebrews 13, 15, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Again, not comprehensive, but one thing we ought to do is offer up some praise, there are other things that we can do, Dave. But one thing that all of us should, nobody in here is mute. And every now and then you ought to be like grandmama. See, y'all, see, y'all didn't have a so y'all, y'all didn't have grandmama like. Him. I call her big mama. Every now and then you ought to be like Big Mama. Big Mama would every now and then just holler out, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I'm not telling you that you have to do it like I do because I'm a little crazy. I'm a little different. And I may just holler it out. I may, you know, you don't have to do it like me. But every now and then, and what I says, you, don't, you don't even have to do it when somebody is around. It, you can be all by yourself. And it doesn't even have to be hollered. I'm a hollerer, if y'all didn't, didn't know that yet. I have to holler, though, because God's been too good to me. And I used to not be a hollerer. And God said, I'm changing your life. And, and, And because he changed my life, he gave me the confidence and the courage and the willingness and the passion about what I do that I can't keep myself under control. Every now and then I have to holler. But listen, you don't have to holler. The fruit of your lips doesn't have to. It could just be a soft whisper. Thank you, Jesus. That's true worship. True worship is expressive. Right. Now, that's relative. Expressive doesn't mean that it's expressive like me. But it is expressive. So true worship. Then next, he says, that's not the only fruit. Next fruit is this. Next fruit is the spirit led works. Spirit led works or evangelism rather. I'm sorry. Evangelism. And so he says, listen, when, when, when we have accepted what Christ did, that one of the things that we ought to have within us as a result of being set free from the bounds and the consequences of the law is that we ought to have a desire on the inside of us to tell somebody about Jesus. You ought to not be able to control it. You ought to, it, not, not that you should be on the street corners, although there's some that do that and can do that, but every now and then when you're just having a casual conversation with somebody, you ought to mention Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus says this about it in John chapter 4. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. The fields are white with harvest and the fields are, are expectant and ready for those of us who will harvest and tell those, about, those that are there about Jesus. Evangelism should be a fruit. And then spirit-led works. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.10. Listen, we're not saved by our works, but there ought to be some works. <laughs> we're not saved by them, but, 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 but a result of what we just read in the first part of chapter 4, the funeral and the marriage, there ought to be some good works that come out of us, shouldn't there? Right? And so here it is. Paul says in 2.10 of Ephesians, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Not because of good works, but for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There ought to be some good works. And then lastly, this fruit, spirit-led generosity. Spirit-led generosity. Here's what Paul says about it as he writes to the church at Philippi, who has been overly generous to him. He says this. He says this. He says, yet it was kind in chapter 4. Verses 14 through 17. Yet it was kind of you to share, with my, to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul says, I've learned to be content. But I thank God that you gave to me because I've learned how to, how to be, be abased. I've learned how to abound. But I thank God for you that you were generous. So then that, that's the fruit. And then we move on to the last part of this passage in verses 5 and 6. And what I see in verses 5 and 6 is an explanation of then and now. An explanation of then and now. Here's what 5 says. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit. Not good fruit, but fruit for death. The the then, the then is when we were living in the flesh. Here's what the law did. It aroused our sinful passions. Our passions were aroused. You know what that means? It means that forbidden fruit is always tempting. All they have to do to a child, sometimes it's not just a child, sometimes it's an adult. is tell them not to do something. And, and Cody, as the very thing. And sometimes it's not just a child, it's not just an adult, sometimes it's you. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Sometimes that thing that is off limits, sometimes that thing that is forbidden is the very thing that piques your curiosity and, and, and before you know it, you find yourself doing it and it's, because, and, and, and it's because of what the saying, the saying goes that curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity killed Adam and Eve and, and, and as a consequence killed us as well. Forbidden fruit always is tempting. Paul says the then is this, when we were living in the flesh the law aroused our passions for sin right because the law made certain things off limits because those things were off limits those were the things that some decided to do but but i don't but i'm not i don't want to stay too long on the on the then i want to move to the now right and, and, and watch this, there's a but now in this passage. But now we are released from the law, is what he says in verse 6. But now we are released from the law. We've been set free from the law. And Jesus says in John 8:36, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And I thank God that we've been set free. That's the now. And here's what he says at the end of verse 6 so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I think this might be a reference to the new and the old covenant. I think Paul might be referencing it there, here. And that that new covenant is, 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 is covered in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. I want to read it for you real quick as we hurry to a close. Here's what Jeremiah says about this new way. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the now. This is the already, not yet. This is where we're living right now in and, and, and we're enjoying the benefits of this new covenant that God promises us. And I think Paul references at the end of Romans chapter 1, verse se- uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 6, is that this new way is different than the old way. What, what, what are the provisions of this new way? Well, one of the things that, that this new way, this new covenant, provides us is a real solution to sin. The old way didn't provide a real solution because there had to be sacrifices made that were not adequate to fulfill uh, the punishment and the penalty for sin. But we have a new way. His name is Jesus. Then there's this universal scope that means that all of us have access to this. And then there is a regenerate heart. God promises us he'll take away our stony heart and replace it with the heart of flesh. And this new way That Paul references at the end of verse 6 is what we have the benefit of enjoying right now. The Bible reminds us that when we came to Jesus for salvation, we entered into an indissolvable union with him so that what happened to Christ happened to us. Christ died. We died. Christ arose. We arose with him. Christ ascended. We ascended with him. What happened to Christ happened to us. During the Civil War, it was a legal form, uh, it was legal rather for a man during the Civil War who wanted to stay out of the war to pay somebody to take his place. Man could decide that I don't wanna risk it, I don't wanna serve. He could find someone willing to take payment and he could pay that person to serve in his place, take his place. So the story is that there was a man by the name of Mr. Pratt who found a man by the name of Mr. Smith. And he paid Mr. Mr. Pratt, paid Mr. Smith to go to war on his behalf. They, they did an agreement and everything. And he paid him to take his place in the war. And as fate would have it, Mr. Smith, who was serving instead of Mr. Pratt, was killed in the war. Not long after that, Mr. Pratt was was redrafted. He got another draft notice that he needed to go serve. And so he goes to the draft board, and when he goes to the draft board, he takes with him this agreement. And he shows them the agreement and says that I died in Mr. Smith. According to this agreement, I no longer have to serve because when he died, I died. And all I'm trying to say is that when the enemy comes in like a flood and try to redraft you into your old life and try to tell you that you are not who you claim to be, that I'm redrafting you into you who you used to be, when he comes in like a flood, all I'm saying is that you got to show him the agreement. Show him the agreement that says, I am no longer myself. I am now married to Christ. My identity has changed. My name has changed. I don't walk like I used to walk. I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't act like I used to act. I'm not going back that way. Because I have been the beneficiary of a funeral and a wedding. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, for your word, that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. Thank you, Lord, for marrying us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, Amen. And maybe one here who has a desire to come and to give your life to Christ. We want to give you that opportunity. That if you would desire to do that, to die and live at the same time, would you come? Would you come? Anyone? Then, likewise, if you are, if you've already done that, you've already been the guest of honor at the wedding. You're already part of the family. Your name has already been changed and it's already been written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you've got the agreement in your pocket to show it. If you haven't connected yet to a church family, we'd love to have you be a part of our family. Would you come? We can tell you all about how to be a member here at Hope. Or you can raise your hand or whatever you desire. Just acknowledge yourself. We'll get that to you. Anyone? And if there's nothing, if there's no one, uh, I'm going to make plans then to dismiss. As we do, let me just say this. Be careful traveling this week. This is Thanksgiving week, and I know many, including myself and my family, will be traveling. uh, Crazy drivers out there. (laughs) Don't be getting road rage. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. When you see warning signs, pay attention to those signs. And we pray that the Lord would bring us all back safely uh, without having gained too much weight from the turkey and dressing <laughs> and the pumpkin pie. I don't eat pumpkin pie. I, I like sweet potato pie. Hello, somebody. Ain't Joe? That's, that's my Aunt Joe over there. See, that's, man. Oh Lord. So, with that, if there's nothing further, uh, let's pray. Now, unto him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.